The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Chris, Chris, Chris. What, what, what? Real hockey, real playoffs have started. Well, it depends on who you ask, but yes. (laughs) The games are for real. The emotion is for real. The effort is for real. Well, I read in one article that what was it? Three minutes into game one, Justin Williams was in, was getting into a fight. The guy's 38 years old. Tell me they don't feel it. The difference in effort between the round robins and the play-ins that we saw two weeks ago, a week and a half ago versus – and then it was apparent then that that's just not a workable format long term. I don't know that they're going to be doing this going forward. I think this is a one-off unless oh, it has to be unless Batman's got it somewhere in his head that maybe they'll try this again. <laughs> Not happening. <laughs> unless unless you actually put draft positioning on the line or something some incentive for the players on each team, you know, if you for each round robin round uh, each round robin you win your team moves up three spots in the draft in the first round. That round robin was, I mean, for a team like the Flyers, it wasn't a joke. And in a situation. But for more than half the teams, it was. In a situation where they would be playing home games in their own rink, I think you would see a little bit more effort. Maybe. In my honest opinion, team like Boston. They were unhappy with the fact that their number one seed was at risk because they earned no, it. it. It wasn't it wasn't at risk. It was removed. They and St. Louis had the best records in the league and it was made meaningless to uh, I don't know, because someone else's feelings were hurt that they were allowed in the first place into the playoffs in the first place. I mean, Why? The odds of anyone having actually beaten or passed the Bruins were phenomenally low. The odds of anyone passing St. Louis had the season finished normally, phenomenally low. And as the saying goes, you can only play the games on your schedule. Everyone played the games on their schedule and two teams and we saw the standings at the end of the at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. It's where it's you are what you are. You are what you are. Period. Excuse Does me. Does that mean we didn't <clears throat> see upsets in the play yet? No, but we see upsets every year. It's the NHL. As I've said before, I understand the concept behind what they were doing. There were teams that were close to wild card spots within a point or two that in the last 12 games, they may have played their way into those spots. So I understand the concept of why they did it. And can I honestly say I was not entertained by the fact that, that Montreal eliminated Pittsburgh. That was one of the most entertaining rounds of hockey I've seen in a while. Or Chicago eliminating Edmonton and Chicago eliminating Edmonton, just, just as exciting. I mean, that's what I want to see. But those round but the four round robin teams where they already knew they were in the playoffs. Yep. 
why didn't we just leave them seated as they were at the end of the season? They shouldn't have been. And the only argument I can come up with is that they needed an excuse to have those teams playing while the other teams were playing their qualifying rounds. And you, that was uh, the you, only reason I can. That's the only reason I can fathom as to I why they were. I understand the need to find them a reason to play, but to risk find a better to, one to take away their first run. And yes, again, like I said, they're playing in neutral sites, so it's not like Game Seven is going to be at home in Boston Garden. Game Seven is going to be at home in Toronto with no crowd. It's a little bit different. Okay, yeah, last change is important. Uh, what color yeah. uniforms you're wearing, but who puts their stick down is important. But that's literally it. But the energy that they would normally be feeding off of in their home buildings isn't there. So why did we not just? Leave, I don't know. That that it's a question that's never going to get answered. And. Clearly, Boston, St. Louis, uh, they didn't appear that they were all that concerned about what they did or didn't do in the round robin stage because Boston got zero points and then came out in game one against Carolina. And I know I made the comment to you. I'm like, did they really did they really look like they needed a round robin here? It's a totally different team. Hello. Completely different. (laughs) Uh, yeah, so uh, I understand why they did it. I understand why they've done the playoffs the way they have, and it's generated ex- uh, excitement may not be the right word, but it's certainly generated some curiosity buzz. yeah, and some buzz, and it is enjoyable hockey. I can't say that I'm not enjoying watching five hockey games a day. It's a little exhausting. <laughs> It's, it's become a full-time job. <laughs> I'm sitting here working uh, at my real job. You know, and as much as I love doing this podcast, it doesn't pay the bills. I'm sitting here doing my real job, and I've got hockey going on in the background. It makes it, It's a little bit distracting when the, when the commentators start getting excited because they're on some kind of offensive push. But, you know, it is what it is. And that being said, I'm sure we have some some actual stories we could be talking about right now. Did anything really happen this week? I mean, there's that one big story that I guess we could talk about. Uh, we normally don't do those first, but do if we you really want it? to, we can dive in there. Or do we talk about the fact that the Florida Panthers have made a change? Uh, no, no, no. See, I was I was thinking of uh, how Charlie Coyle dominated yesterday's game. Charlie Coyle has dominated since the playoffs have started. He was one of the, what, two or three players during the round robin that we were actually impressed with his effort. I mean, he looked like he owned the ice in faceoffs. And it's not that he's a slow skater or I've ever assumed that he was slow. He's not slow. He's not He's not necessarily fast. No, but he's getting... He's taking all of the right angles and lines to get to pucks, and his pass work has been top shelf. I mean, yeah. I, I'm I'm not going to sit here after you know watching him play in what uh, last year's playoffs and this year's playoffs and put him in the top five passers in the league all time, 
but it's a clearly underrated part of his game. Yeah. Um, um, he's physical. I mean, he does, everything. does everything shorthanded assist yesterday with, uh, Sean Corrali. At first, I wasn't sure that Sean got his stick on it. I thought it was actually Coyle's goal, but the reaction oh, yeah. that happened, I, I'm pretty sure now that it was it was Sean's. Fair enough. Oh, it was definitely Sean, Sean's. And Sean is phenomenal. Showtime, that, Sean. Yeah, that's one. Uh, that that's one that I have to take a take a hit on because I wasn't sure when they dealt for him. I was like, who is this clown that they're getting? They're dealing away Martin. Jo- they're dealing away Martin Jones for this guy. Then. I have to take the hit on that one. I was wrong. The guy clearly has showed up since being here. Deserves all the accolades he gets. The one guy who's getting accolades right now is a 34-year-old guy, though. David Krejci. David Krejci. Oh, that 34-year-old. Okay. Yes, that 34-year-old. Everybody knows about Bergeron. He's going to get his fifth Selkie, and and they're going to rename the trophy and everything else. But apparently David Krejci is playing phenomenally right now. David Krejci is never happier than when he has Europeans on his line. And Kasha actually looks strong. Granted, he hasn't scored anything yet, but he's Kasha being physical. Looks he's, he looks healthy. healthy. <laughs> Which it's is a rare thing that. in his career. It's amazing we said like, that at the same time. <laughs> this, this reset, the pause... I think it may well have helped and or saved multiple careers. Like genuinely believe guys like Kasha who he, I mean, he's, he's come in here. He was injured when he first arrived. Yeah. I didn't play for the first week that he was traded to the team. Then he, then unfit. I'm assuming he was sick or, or quarantining during uh, during the uh, 14 days or so of the, or during the round robin and and training camp, there's all kinds of crap as to what he was doing. He skated on it. There's so many stories out there that nobody actually knows what happened. I just let it go. Um, but there's there's a lot of guys who came out of the pause looking better than they have in years. Agreed. And Kasha just, yeah, he looks healthy. He looks rested. Uh, and it's funny because we we haven't mentioned the one kid's name that uh, we normally would be mentioning because he's the number one goal scorer on the team. He's co-Rocket Rashad champion. Uh, oh, Pasternak. That guy Pasta, yeah, who now who suddenly is unfit to play. One without. Easily. Well, easily is probably a stretch, but uh, it was in 60 minutes. It was a win. Mm -hmm. Um, And they really didn't struggle to generate shots. No, they 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 look good. And and they did have Krejci. They give Krejci on the top power play now, uh, at least until Pasta comes back. And I don't know if that's actually the best idea. What is Krejci primarily? Facilitator, distributor. And despite the fact that he's got multiple 30-goal seasons, what is Bergeron primarily? Facilitator, distributor. And then, um, (laughs) okay, so what is Tory Krug primarily? Uh, Quarterback. 
So I guess a distributor in a sense. I mean, he t- he shoots and scores on the power play as well. But yeah, I guess ultimately when you're the quarterback, you're trying to set up other people. Which set, basically set play we grab Marchand and as the primary threat, which basically isn't necessarily Brad, basically sets up Brad Marchand and and DeBrusque for doing the goal scoring mostly. I mean, yes, pa, uh, Bergeron usually sits in the pivot. Yes. I would rather leave Krejci on unit two and add somebody. I'm not sure who. Yeah, Pasta would normally be the other goal scorer. You would have DeBrus going. Maybe if you think you can get it, if you think he can get it done where you're playing him now, you throw Studnika out there or you throw. Um, he looked okay yesterday. He, I think he rushed that one chance that he had dead center in front of Morazic. I think he had a, a a second longer than he thought he did. But I mean, he he's looked solid out there. Yeah, um, I I'm not convinced that either Richie is going to be all that useful. But <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Uh, but yeah. So, yeah, there's – and Yaroslav Halak got to play uh, in his first real playoff game in ten, years. Well, I wouldn't say not 10 years because he was – he played – he was in the playoffs when he was with the Islanders. And, you know, people are acting like just because Tuka Rask opted out. Ah, uh, there's the top story of the day, huh? the Bruins suddenly don't have any hope whatsoever. And well, like there's no experience left in, in the, on the roster. And I'm completely baffled by this utterly and completely baffled. Yaroslav Halak has gone out there and done the thing uh, deep into the playoffs with much worse defenses in front of him than he has currently. He's got 32 games of NHL playoff experience. He had that 18-game run uh, with Montreal a couple of years back. Um, well, it's he had more than a couple. It's ten. it's 10 years. But regardless, he's he's been deep into the playoffs. Actually, uh, actually had Montreal questioning which goaltender to get rid of back then. They weren't and sure whether they should get rid of have the or at least at that time had the same agent, uh, yeah. which made that guy pretty happy. You think? <laughs> but he played seven game. He played a seven game uh, stint for the Islanders in 2014-15. Yep. No one on the planet thinks that was a great defense. And yet he still put up a 926 save percentage in that uh, in that playoff appearance. And when he was with Montreal, they and and everybody will say I've heard it said across all the TV networks that oh the Canadians ran out of steam. Ended up finishing that playoffs with a nine and nine record, not great. Two point five five goals against and a nine twenty three save percentage. Yeah, his last playoff appearance before this year was mm-hmm. a nine twenty six in seven games. Yeah, this, I don't know. I'm not sure he can handle the playoffs. This isn't Rick Nash. <laughs> This is a real playoff performer. Now, if something happens to Halak, 
then there's issues because the other guys have not well, much uh, NHL experience at all, if any. Well, the Bladar has Legacy. 0. 0.0 NHL games. Legacy has no playoff experience in the NHL. He started many games for Vegas, uh, but he has yeah. no he has no playoff experience. Uh, I believe by that point in time, it was actually Malcolm because uh, Malcolm had come back from injury or something like that. They finally they had finally been healthy at goaltender. They went through four goaltenders there off there yeah. their inaugural season. But Legacy was gone by the time back to minors, Chicago Wolves, if I'm not mistaken, by the time that uh, the playoffs rolled around. So he has zero playoff experience. And his and his NHL his general NHL experience uh, does not inspire one with confidence. Uh, and we'll leave yeah, he wasn't fabulous. He kept them afloat, shall we say? Uh, if you want to say that, uh, I would say that he, um, <laughs> yeah, he held the position of goaltender on the ice during hockey games. That's uh, that. That too may be too strong of a statement. Um, <laughs> I mean, as far as as far as the opting out part of it, and this is, a, I mean, I have complicated feelings on that. My I really question, do. Uh, complicated. My my first thought was that he's doing it again. He's doing it again, but details hadn't come out. Uh, you know, when he left on his, his little hiatus before and and no real reason for it, just that he had to, he had uh, personal reasons and he left. But when it started to come out that it was family issues uh, this time around, it, you know, it, it's his family. And the comments that he made on Thursday didn't help the situation. Uh, he, when he after the game, after game two, when he started saying that. Yeah, three or four months, not in, not really in shape yet, and not really worried about results, and doesn't feel like playoffs. Feels more like exhibition, and he just didn't sound like a player whose head was in the game at that point. And I said it to you that day, and you know, I texted you. I said, "This guy needs to be benched. They need to start Halak. His head's not in it." And then three days later, he's pulling himself out and opting out. I understand that it's family, but. Could it have been handled a little bit? I don't know that it – I understand that it's family. I have not seen indications that it counts as a family emergency. Well, um, apparently the newborn was born during the pandemic. I know we were talking yesterday before when we yes. were planning. And apparently the newborn was really the, – the baby was really just born within the last couple of months. Yeah, which – which is great. I, I will never, ever, ever attack anyone over going to be with their family and do. And I think if this is what he thinks is best for his family today and short term, whatever, go for it. Um, no, I'm not going to say anything against it. That said. Yeah. Given that he says, not me, not you, not anyone on TV, given that he says he's not back in shape yet. 
that should he even have shown up yet for 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 camp? That concerned me a little. That statement about you know three or four months off, not really back in shape. I was a little concerned about that as well. And then there was a, some kind of issue about him reporting that he had coughed. Yes, that was for uh, that was last week. Um, he, I think he, what was it, the last round robin game he missed? And yeah, he was shut down and locked up for. 24 or 48 hours while they uh, got back to negative tests. Um, but should he, I don't think if he really came into camp, not in shape and he didn't want to be away from his family. Mm-hmm. I think he should have opted out. Uh, I really think he should have opted out before camp because because then you give clear – Halak is clearly the acting number one or whatever you want to call it. And you give the opportunity for Vladar and Legacy and whoever else is in the system to come in, grab a spot, get NHL game I was just going to say that. Complete aside, if he had opted out earlier, you could have had Vladar start one or two of those round-robin games. If you really weren't concerned about the outcome, why not give Vladar a chance to get the nerves out? And just get used to communicating with the team. Yeah. Get the nerves. Uh, get used to the angles, the boards, the rebounds uh, in in Toronto. Those boards are lively. Oof. And... Keep talking about the boards in the old Joe. I don't even know if the old Joe Loomis Arena boards were as lively as these are. Which uh, which uh, column was it? Matt uh, for Mass Live uh, is talking about damage to his legacy. Matt, I, I don't want to mispronounce the name. Uh, Vanzar or Vat, uh, Vantor? Uh That sounds right. Vator, there's no Vator. Um, he's talking about damage to the legacy by Rask, and honestly, this just complicates it. There's no, there's literally no question about it. Tuka Rask, uh, I mean, the first exposure most Bruins fans had to the personality of Tuka Rask is seeing either live or in news footage him flipping out and throwing milk crates all over the place. I mean, the scourge of milk crates is what we knew about him most for like three years. Would, would his, ben? would his, uh, what is it? His, his impressions upon the Boston fans be different had they won game seven last year, would suddenly he be getting the res- would he be getting the respect that he deserves? I, I he see. Deserves? I think last year was probably too late. Had they gone back and won in 2013, maybe. I mean, he did have the misfortune of following Tim Thomas, who was 
otherworldly in 2011. There's no other way but to here's describe. Here's the thing: there, there are people. Who, there are one of the issues with with this is how different in style and personality he and Tim Thomas are. Yeah, I mean his Rask style is absolutely more predictable, more calm, more whatever. And yes, he did in a couple of those training camps outplay Tim Thomas, whether it was a 5% better or 10% better is something that can be debated by people who care to. Uh, But the thing is, is even the year that they, I, I believe it was the cup year, Rask started the year as the number one goaltender. Yes. Wouldn't hold on to it. Didn't play a game after February. Um, and then Tim Thomas was Tim Thomas not only reset the bar, he laid out a minefield for half a mile in front of it for what it takes to be a legendary goaltender. Not going to argue with that. Like I said, otherworldly. I mean, and say what you will about Tim Thomas and some of the some of his own quirks. Tim Thomas never had a reputation for cutting the legs out from under young defensemen and uh, on the in the press. You know, the first three four years Rask was in town, it, he would call out. Whatever defenseman happened to have a iffy game or poor game or have a deflection go off of him, uh, and that's just not that's not how things are done here. A, a lot of Rask's legacy is more about what he has said off the ice than what he has done on the ice. His mm-hmm. numbers on ice are good. They're they're good. They're better than most goaltenders. But if you ask me, is this the guy that I th- is that is this a guy that I think the Bruins can win a Stanley Cup behind? No, I've never. I, I mean, evident all all the evidence points to no. I mean, they, they he's had two chances since Tim Thomas left, and it hasn't happened. He struggled. He 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 appeared to struggle in Game Seven last year. Are they in a better situation now with him not on the team and with Halak being the number one? I I, I think that the on ice difference in in quality of play is negligible. I think that the knowledge that you have to get it done for this guy should be galvanizing to the team because uh, yeah, no disrespect to Dan Vladar or like our Maxime legacy. Halak is the last guard at the gate when it comes to goaltending for the Boston Bruins right now. I don't think that there's, I can't imagine Sweeney or Neely saying, Oh yeah. Halak had three bad periods in a row. Go throw that guy in. Halak <laughs> is going to have to hurt himself or get hurt in order for him not to play the rest of the Bruins games. 
so for the and, and, for the skaters, it's we need we're going to do this for Halak. Be a nice be a nice way to you know go out to. I know that they signed him for next year because they wanted him to they wanted to keep the Rask Halak tandem going for one season since next year is Rask's last year of his contract. But it still would be nice to sort of end your career as you know what when. Won a Stanley Cup under me. <laughs> and, you know, if that if if that actually happens, you know, Tuka opts out, Halak raises the cup. I think that ends Tuka Rask's career here. I'm okay. I, I whether I he retires to, or they say, trade I him. Circle to, I didn't want to circle to this, but I guess it kind of completes the circle. So I. Back a couple of months ago when he made the comments about potentially next year being his last, I yeah. said it, you said it. We've talked when, about it when about st- three times in the last year. When you start talking about retiring, usually you're already halfway out the door. Yep. Then he go. Then he comes here. He's disinterested or whatever you want to translate his comments into. Now he's op- now he's opted out. Is he done anyway? Before you even get to whether Halak takes them deep into the playoffs or Halak doesn't, is Tuka done anyway? I I would I like to say no. It's a tough question to bring up. And I would I would genuinely like to say no. The strongest statement I can make is that I don't know. Rask, each time he's had a kid, has had a couple of months of paternal distraction. Yeah. Maybe if the season restarts in January, and he knows it. And he starts his normal preparations the end of October, maybe with, you know, the regular season, you're only dealing with maybe one and a half weeks of time separated and he's hardly broke. So if he really needs to fly his uh, family out to the West Coast to be with him for a game or two. So that his emotional continuity is stronger, mm-hmm. I think he can afford it. Um, and maybe just the routine of even a displaced season is going to be a greater comfort to him. Maybe that's something he would consider workable. That said, I, I don't know. I, however, this plays out. Whether it's Rask retires, he's really done, or whether Rask comes back and you have one mere, one more year of Rask and Halak. Either way, does this make Sweeney look like a genius for giving Halak one more year? Because uh, because if you bring I, him I, back, I, you get one. Well, let me, if you bring him back, you get and, and Rask stays, you get one more year of the arguably best tandem in the NHL. I'm yep. not saying best goaltender. I'm saying best tandem in the NHL. And they won the Jennings, lowest goals again. 
if he doesn't come back, you've still got Halak, who is still a number one or 1A or whatever denomination you want to give yes. him. And it gives you a chance to bring in Vladar, Lagasse, Swayman. And we talked about this yesterday, too. It gives you a chance to bring one of them in gently instead of having to throw them to the wolves. You can have Vladar one every fourth start, one every fifth start, or Swayman, or whoever you deem is the backup. You're not going to play him 50-50, but... It allows you that it allows you that leeway to bring in a young goaltender, and he doesn't have to get thrown to the wolves. He's not playing three not three games three games out of seven or four games out of seven. Or yeah, I or more. I I think that the transitional period of him leaving is a strong possibility, um, and. A thought occurred to me. Um, uh, but I don't I don't know that I don't know what the road back for him is in the I mean, there's the hardcore Tuka Rask fans who are always going to defend him always going to laud him as the best goaltender that's ever lived. These are equivalent to the Sidney Crosby is the greatest hockey player ever fans or however, or pick a city. They have a player who the fans are on that level of, uh, on that level. It doesn't matter the sport. There's, there's a city where they have an above average player or even an average player that there are fans and a good, large vocal percentage of fans who believe that they're the greatest athlete ever born. Okay. Um, I, but for the most part, the average Boston fan, the Bruins first team first die in the black and gold, no matter what, uh, I don't know that if there's a road back for Tuka Rask, except come in when next season starts, finish the year with like a 940 save percentage, and win a cup. Win a cup convincingly as clearly the best guy on the ice. Okay. Um, but speaking to Matt's point, uh, is there a, a, how is, how is this going to affect his legacy? I, I think that his, I think that this damages it. Even the people who don't want to criticize him for leaving for family, um, reasons, as Mike Milbury put it on the air the other day and, or maybe it was Twitter. I forget which it was. Uh, he said, I given everything that's gone on and I'm paraphrasing that part. Uh, I, I would have had more respect for him if he opted out and didn't enter the bubble at all. And I think that given what 
Rask has said about his own fitness level and his own interest level and attention level, I think Milbury's right. We we know I'm not a Rask fan, but yeah. I would say this. I would say this even if it was Tory Krug, even if it was Brad Marsh, and even if it was Patrice Bergeron. If you aren't in shape, you aren't focused, and your interest level is below the threshold for your high-level contributions, you need to let the team make the adjustment at the at, at the best point possible. Yeah, it's that's, funny. That's it's my funny. opinion. I was less concerned about. I was actually less concerned about the 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 physical aspects of his comment. I was more concerned about the mental game. If you're not in it mentally, if, I mean physically, yes, you may not be in the greatest shape, but you've been skating. You look pretty good. You didn't look great, but you look pretty good. You stopped all the shots you were supposed to stop. Uh, I think one squeaked in. Whatever. I was less worried about the physical. It's the mental game that concerned me. If he's not here mentally, then he needed to opt. He needed to opt out when he knew he wasn't excited about this, not waiting until game three and going, you know, still hasn't washed over me, so I'm done. No, you should have said it before the whole thing started that you weren't in it mentally because now you've delayed it to the point where Yes, now you the team is down to a one and a two, a clear number one, a clear number two, and if I'm something not even sure should... there's a clear number two, because do you go with the guy with iffy NHL experience, or do you go with the guy with no NHL experience who's been better in the same AHL system? It's it's not a clear call. Yeah, that's, I don't know. To me, I would go with I would go Vladar, but that's personal opinion. That's not. Uh, that's based on the fact that he had better numbers. <laughs> well, yes, but he's he's younger. Um, he's not necessarily, and he's got zero NHL experience. No, I know, I know. Not that's a why minute, it would have been. Stop. That's why it would have been nice to get him into one of the. It would have been really good. Even even if Tuca was staying, you know what? Sit Tuca for a night. Have Halak back up Vladar in one of the round-robin games. Or vice versa, have Halak sit and let Rasp back up Vladar in one of the – he should have got into a game in that round-robin, especially if you knew – and I'm not saying they did, but my personal opinion is that they did. If you knew you weren't concerned about – what results were going to happen in that round robin series. I think they were more worried about nobody gets hurt. We're not going to come out of this with any serious injuries. You know, let's get out there. Let's get some ice time. Let's gel. And if we don't win any games, we don't win any games. We just don't want to, we don't want to have Bergeron with a twisted ankle for three weeks or something. You know, Whatever it may be, I think that the Bruins themselves should have made the decision. Sweeney should have made the decision, not Sweeney, uh, Cassidy should have made the decision to at least get Vladar one start. Even if not one start, half of half a game. Close out a third period, or you know, play half of a game, or you know, go in the second half of one of those games. I 
I think the uh, that an opportunity, even if the only opportunity is that, even if the only gain is that Vladar sees the difference between facing an entire NHL team versus facing a really good AHL team where there's probably three to five NHL quality players on it um, and sees the difference for 20 or 30 or 60 minutes, however long he's out there. And that allows him to work the rest of this postseason into the offseason and attack uh, and come out stronger and more knowledgeable next year. I think that that is a missed opportunity. And I also think that we've beaten this story to death now. Yes. I completely agree. Which leads um, us so to... So where else do we want to go? Well, I thought you were segueing when you made that comment about Pittsburgh not too long ago. Yes. Um, um, since it sounded like a good segue, you threw up a, a thing about Penguins firings. Yes, yes, I did. Penguins firings and some history. Um, now, <laughs> most of us know... Uh, most of us know that the coaching staff has been cleared out around Mike Sullivan, which is kind of a hint to him that they need to be a little bit better next year. Um, well, you lost to the 12 seeded Montreal Canadiens, which would also be a hint that you that, that need, see that would be my first hint. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, that you need to be better, especially um, when Jeff Petrie and, and Shea Weber two defensemen made your team clearly uh, look like um, they didn't show up defensively. Yeah. This is what defensemen really look like. <laughs> Which is something that probably the scouting staff for the Pittsburgh Penguins need to become concerned with because this is, we're talking. When was the last? Okay. When was the last time? Has, okay. Uh, no, it's not even the last time. Has there ever been a period where the two of us could look at the Pittsburgh Penguins and say, there's a guy I want playing on my top pairing? Um, no. No. Yeah, I'm, I would. Yeah, I was trying. I'm to trying to my... think back all the way. Uh, I, like Matt, Matt Niskanen. I think he's a really strong defenseman. Um, but he's a second pairing guy. Yes. Uh, oh gosh. He's, he's out in, um, he's out West somewhere now. He was frequently injured while he was with, um, Pittsburgh. And I can't remember his last name at the moment, but, um, another guy who they drafted a couple of years ago, who's pretty strong when he's healthy, he's a great second pairing guy. I don't even know what you're talking about, except, what, Ian Cole in Colorado? No, 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 not Cole. Uh, much younger. Much younger? Oli Mata in Chicago? Mata. It's Mata. And once you said injuries, it clicked in. Yeah, look what he can do when he's healthy. He's got three goals in this playoffs for Chicago. Yep. But he's still a second-pairing guy. I liked him, too, but a little Admittedly, too hurt. Admittedly, those three goals were against a defense that uh, – Maybe an expert on uh, beating no. defenses had some uh, input on. Third goal was against Vegas just last night. Um, first, the first two were against Edmonton. <laughs> yes. 
But <laughs> back into back in the 2005 2006 season, Mark Recchi was still playing in the NHL. Yes, he was actually not a mascot at that point. Um, it was Sidney Crosby's rookie year. Um, and of course they had already, I believe they had already named him captain at that point, or possibly were just about to, um, many of the veterans felt that Mr. Crosby was a tiny bit immature and confronted him about it. And Eddie Olchuk, who has not coached in the NHL since leaving the Penguins, uh, sided with Crosby. I think Eddie's um, a little too busy commentating and probably enjoying life a little bit more than <laughs> less stressful uh, than coaching. Uh, so Olchuk confronted the veterans and then was fired. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but, well, God forbid you should, you know, tell veterans that they're not playing well or that they need to step up their game. <gasps> well, I, I think I think he was more upset that they told the face of the future of the entire NHL that he needed to, you know, put his binky back in or maybe put his big boy pants on and, you know, not whine to the officials. I'm going to go with the latter. Stoppage. The big boy pants thing. I'm going to go with the latter. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But uh, let's see. All of the coaches, all of the assistant coaches are gone. Martin, Gonchar, Recky, um, and Recky probably has, well, arguably has the best reason for dismissal. Well, the power play was horrible. The Penguins' power play was mediocre. It dropped to 16th out of the 31 teams. You are too kind. Awful. Middle of the road. It's not good. It's not great. Uh, It's not in the bottom third. Should a power play that has Crosby and Malkin available to it, a high percentage of the time, be that low? Absolutely it was, not. It was their biggest problem. Well, okay. One of their biggest problems facing <laughs> Montreal was the lack of a power play. Clearly, the other but, problem being a lack of defense. But <laughs> yeah, well, that's Edmonton. Well, uh, you know, for Pittsburgh. Yes, uh, Pittsburgh. I Pittsburgh. No, Pittsburgh even. was broken. Yes. Or at and least worn out. So they got rid of all the assistants. My question to my question right off the bat when I saw this was, and you heard, and I, I posed it right to you. Is Mike Sullivan gone as well? No, no, no. They fired all the assistants around him, but they're keeping Mike Sullivan. Which is basically a way of saying we don't want to pay you to not be our coach. Um. I don't know so how long his contract is. Yeah, I don't know how much longer his contract is for, but you're firing all the assistants around him, but you're keeping the main guy. Um, Mike Sullivan, I saw a couple of other stories where he's saying, oh, the, the, the players are still buying what he's selling, and uh, that's great, but you still need to execute. And I don't care who this coaching staff is. If you don't have a viable defense, you're not winning. If you don't have healthy goaltenders or even goaltender who can play at a league average, mm-hmm. you're probably not winning. 
when you don't have goaltenders who can do that and you don't have a defense and you don't have a power play, you're lucky to make it to the playoffs. My question the, is, does 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 Sydney have that much of an effect on the owner? If he happened, if Sydney for whatever reason likes Mike Sullivan, does he have enough pull, enough sway to meant to save Sullivan's job while everybody else around him probably gets dropped? Probably. And that's that's a problem right there. I mean, look at how many times in Crosby's now 15 year career. And wow, that's that's a really weird statement. Um, <laughs> but what, look at how many times in Crosby? <laughs> they've talked about, oh, we need to find someone to play on Crosby's wing. We need to find someone to play on Crosby's wing. We got someone to play on Crosby's wing, and they put them out there, and they play for two weeks, and then they're on Malkin's line, or they're on the third line. Well, they found Jake Gensel. It's like... It's happened, I don't know, 10, 12 times. Then they screwed him. <laughs> 10 or 12 times it's happened to guys that were brought in specifically to play with Crosby. I know. Who ended up on another line. Maybe there's a common denominator. While it could be the it it, it, it could be that scouting staff. It could be one of the 95 general managers who's flown through town. Or maybe maybe it's something at ice level. I'm I'm having trouble putting my finger on it, but it might be something at ice level. No. But there is definitely a common denomina- denominator. There just has to be. I don't know what it is. Maybe you can enlighten me off what? the air. No. Nobody likes playing with Cindy. Sydney. Excuse me. I'm sorry, that was my bad side coming out. Nobody likes playing with Sydney. Maybe he's <clears throat> uh, I don't wanna say I don't wanna say too demanding because I think it's okay for players to demand uh, demand uh, your best from other from other players. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But Oh, there, are play, there are absolutely players who are demanding at a level that very few and I, match. And I think that I think that Sydney is one of those players. I think that the reason they're dropping either that or the the talent that they're bringing in to play with him is just so different and so varied that it it won't survive on Sydney's line. But if you're going to have a player like Sydney and 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 Connor McDavid and whoever else, they're supposed to bring up the level of play from those around them. Yes. If they're that good. And one of my biggest problems with watching him as a leader, watching him as a face of the league over the years is in 15 years, having watched a large number of regular season and playoff games for the Penguins. I've never once heard him say, Oh, the other team was better tonight. It's always we, generally meaning everyone but me, um, weren't working hard enough, or we didn't skate enough, or whatever. He's never given credit to an opponent. He's never he's never flat out said I wasn't good enough, even on games where you know he's finishes the rare 
admittedly rare games where he finishes a minus two, only has one shot on goal. Yeah. He's never said, I wasn't good enough. He always says, we, even even in games where he scores a hat trick himself, he'll say, oh, we weren't good enough. And what you're really saying when you've done that much yourself is, you peasants weren't good enough, and I, the king of the locker room, have gotten my boots dirty because you couldn't do it. But we is something that, I mean, they've even we gotten is in the their hobby. ad. They got it in their advertising. I mean, it's never I, it's always we. And yes, it's a team sport. It's a team, you know, but team succeeds, team falters. It's, that's but, both real and marketing. Okay. And the difference is Because I believe sincerity. it when I, I believe it when I see it in certain teams. I believe when I see it coming out of a player from Vegas, I believe it when I see it coming out of a player from Boston. Uh, Jonathan Taser, Patrick Kane say Chicago, we Chicago. They, they, I believe it. Yes. There are certain teams where I believe it when they say we, 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 they mean we, they're not just saying it for marketing purposes. There are some teams, however, when they start with the we, 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 it's, it, 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 it has a sound that's kind of hollow. Yeah. And, and I think Pittsburgh is one of those teams. It, it's absolutely one of those teams. In fact, it probably heads the list of those teams. Uh, I mean, there's three guys who have been there forever, basically their entire careers. Um, in Crosby, Malkin, and Latang. Malkin almost never speaks at this point. Uh, and I said three years ago and probably five years ago, Mm -hmm. the best thing that that team could do at that time is trade one of those guys. Yeah. I think the window's closed. You could still trade them and they're still marketable, but you you're not going to be able to rebuild your franchise out of the return for that. Because you're probably, first of all, you're probably not trading Crosby regardless. No. It's going to have to be either Latang or Malkin, or you're not going to trade a Gensel. I mean, Gensel, you're going to get a nice return for, but it's not going to be a great return. It's not going to be a franchise shifting return. No. Good point. Uh, but say, let's just roll all the way back to 2015. Mm-hmm. Say in the off season. Uh, you trade Malkin, not yeah. the guy I would have traded because I think you're good. I think even, even though I have always liked Malkin a little bit better than Crosby, um, I think, uh, you, assuming you trade him, you get a at nice the, return at the end of the 14, 15 season and say the end of the 14, 15 season. Yep. So, You've got a pick in the. You've got a pick in the top five. You would have missed in, out on his ninety-eight point season. You've got a pick in the top five in that twenty fifteen draft. Yeah, that means theoretically, you enter the draft lottery. You have a chance to draft Connor McDavid, Jack Eichel, Ryan Strome, Mitch Marner, Noah Hannafin. Those are the guys who went first. 
not far behind them, Zach Wierenski, Ivan Provorov. Do you think a Zach Wierenski added to that team might have made a difference over the last two or three years? Maybe. Yeah. Because he's great offensively. He's he's above average defensively. Um, and that's just the first round one pick in that draft. Um, if you also had, say, a second round pick that was reasonably high, you might have snatched up Sebastian Ajo. I don't bite my head off. I'm going to say it, but it's only in the context of this conversation. It's not for real. Don't believe that. Yep. Could they could they have used a Brandon Carlo? Absolutely. <laughs> Would they have recognized the need and acted upon it? No. What, for a defenseman? <laughs> a defensive defenseman. What's that what's that letter after his name? What does that mean? Uh destroyer? It means dude. Dude. <laughs> Yes. I don't know what there D are, is. <laughs> there are centers, there are right wings, there are left wings, there are goaltenders, and there are dudes. That's that's the that's the uh, Pittsburgh hockey hockey lexicon. I guess uh, wrap this up for me just to wrap this up. My shock just comes from. Uh, and I don't know if this is Rutherford. I don't know if this is ownership. I don't know if this is a combination of the two. But to get rid of all the assistants and keep the head coach is either A, like you said, it's a contract thing. I don't know how much longer Sullivan has on his deal. Uh, but it's either it's either that they don't want to pay him to sit idly by and watch as a, as a spectator, or B, uh he's got somebody on the ice that is very influential with upper management. And that's why he's still around because how often do you hear of the head coach sticking around when the team falters? Not very often. And usually, and the three or four times that I remember all of the assistant coaches being fired, the head coach was gone by the midpoint of next season. Mike Sullivan, actually, oh yeah, and there and there it is. He is under contract. He signed an extension. He's good. He's good to go. Signed the extension July of last year. His contract doesn't expire until twenty three twenty four. Now, obviously, they don't announce what manager, what head coaches make. They always say, you know, salary is unknown. Or, but one of the other points in this in this uh, article, or maybe it was a different article I read, is the Penguins had negative cash flow, which for which in everyone else's terms outside of the business world means they lost money. Yeah. So now you really can't fire the head coach and pay him to sit and watch games. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, just just say, uh, just assume that you got a top fifteen pick in the twenty sixteen draft. Mm-hmm. A couple of the guys who <clears throat> went right around that space, you know, there's 
that Matthews kid and that line a kid and uh, the best kept secret uh, in the Eastern Conference coming into these playoffs. Pierre Luc Dubois. Yeah, I like him. I like and him at the some draft. Some kid too. named Kachuk, uh, the elder. Um, I like Dubois at the draft. I was surprised he went where he went. Mikhail Sergachev. Charlie yeah, just, McAvoy. Just ask Montreal how good Mikhail Sergachev is. <laughs> yes. So good they traded him for a guy. Yeah. Jonathan, uh, the first couple of games of that, the first couple of games of that qualifying series, he was eh. When he finally got that goal, I don't know what it was about. When he finally scored, it was like a weight off his shoulders, and he was a different player. I'm not saying great. I'm not saying stupendous or world-beating, but his, I, I don't know, his demeanor changed. He was, he just seemed more engaged. I don't know what it was. He was gripping his stick too tight, whatever it was. I mean, he cut his hair. But Drew Ann, once he finally scored that goal, he, he, he appeared to be a different player. Is he still, was he still worth Mikhail Sergachev? Not going to go that far. Because <laughs> Mikhail Sergachev is turning into a very solid defenseman down there in Tampa Bay. Yes. On a team that I still have questions about. Um what other topics do we have in the tank this week? Oh, we've oh, got we've got one of our favorite uh, one of your favorite goaltenders. Oh uh, yeah, has a I can't even call it a hit piece because it's so over the top know. ridiculous. All right, this one is yeah, mm-hmm. the Denver Post. Of, the Denver I mean, Post uh, published and. A, a, a piece on and I have it in my notes here as Mark Kizala whines Mark Kis- about Darcy Kizla 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 I'm going to guess Kizla K-I-S-Z-L-A Kizla he, he refers to Darcy Kemper as the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man it, it, like the article is it, now if you it, read it the article like he it was ex- written by like, if you asked me up front, is this article written by an adult member of a major media outlet or an 11-year-old uh, super fan, I would guess 11-year-old super fan. Because well, it has is, it a reasonable right vocabulary. What does it say right up there at the beginning, though? The two most profane words... In the NA, in the current Denver sports lexicon, Darcy Kemper. Well, I'm sorry, but the guy did stop 49 shots in a, in, on the way to a 4-2 win. He has stopped 114 stops in the three games that they've played. Um, the guy pretty much stands on his head. But it's the it's this paragraph that says. Uh, in response to Jared Bednar's comment, if he's seeing it, he's stopping it after Kemper stole game three. And that's a quote from Je- quote from Jared Bednar. <laughs> and Kisla says, excuse me, Kemper is standing rudely in the abs way. No offense to these scrappy little coyotes, but Arizona's skaters are not worthy of sharing the ice with Colorado. 
if they're not worthy of sharing the ice with them, they still wouldn't have won. Period. You don't lose games to ECHL to ECHL players. It doesn't matter who the goaltender is. I'm sorry. Who did they take out in uh, the in the qualifying stages? Yeah, I'm racking my brain. Why can't I remember who they took out? I watched them. I watched them too. <laughs> I don't off the top of my head remember uh, because it it really was a fun. It was a fun round for Arizona, um, but they. The hell did they take out? Oh, it's going to bug me. I'm going to have to look it up. But clearly Darcy Kemper. And yes, I've liked Darcy Kemper since his days in in Minnesota. I've talked about it here. I think I like him more than you do. I really enjoy his game, and he's really come into his own since being the number one in Arizona. And it was a surprise number one because they had traded for Auntie Ranta because they wanted Auntie Ranta to be the number one because mm-hmm. of his backup play in New York. So for Darcy Kemper to come in and pretty much steal it, although at the time I think Ranta was hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to see him finally meeting the expectations of, of what he was supposed to be in, in Minnesota. And you're going to turn around and yes, he's six foot five. So He's a big guy, and oh my god. And so he starts comparing him to, and it says here, Kemper looms large in the nightmares of avalanche shooters. I'm reminded of the classic movie line Dan Aykroyd uttered about the monster in Ghostbusters. And I'm trying to think of whether this is a compliment or not. Quote, I tried to think of the most harmless thing, something I loved from my childhood, something that could never, ever possibly destroy us. Mr. Stay Popped. We used to roast Stay Puft marshmallows by the campfire at Camp Wakanda. Well, if you were thinking that he was going to flame out like when they shot the lasers into Mr. Stay Puft in the movie, uh, not happening because Darcy Kemper is one of the top goaltenders in the NHL at this point in time. He yep. was top three going into the, the pause, if I'm not mistaken. Um and had he not been injured himself, would probably be in consideration for a Vesna. Yeah, easily. And to have this guy, and I don't know Mark, so I don't want to go over the top badmouthing him, but a little more professional. No, no, no. When you write something this completely ridiculous, <laughs> you open yourself up for pretty much everything. And what do what do Av see when firing the puck? Add skates and pads to Kemper's already imposing physique, and the goal looks more crowded than a family of six inside the kitchen of a studio apartment. Really? Uh, who? Wow. Colorado spends so much time in the Arizona zone, the Zamboni driver could skip resurfacing the avalanche's defensive end between periods and go eat a hot dog. Or, as ab defenseman Eric Johnson has suggested, the Coyotes try to win every game 0-0. Are you serious? I mean, is there any possible way you could be less professional? I, I, we can go, I, I, we're going to have to stop at some point because, uh, there's got to be. Oh, it was the Nashville Predators who they beat. Yes, um, yes, because 
unfortunately, I had to watch two of my favorite goaltenders going at it. A team because that I, I'm a huge I, fan as well. A team that I've said has been broken for like four years. Like another team that we suggested maybe they should start moving parts around. They should have moved. They should have moved parts after the year after that. Not I mean, necessarily the move, summer after. They did move Shea Weber. Um, no, they moved Shea Weber before that because PK Subban was already out there. PK Subban was in Montreal when they Weber was traded to Montreal. Yes, but PK Subban played in the Stanley Cup Finals for uh, for the Predators. Yes, they did. That's true. Yes, yes. Well, no need to panic. There's no reason for the lowly coyotes. Lowly coyotes, really? Second time. Second time in the article. There's no need reason for the lowly coyotes to give Colorado the angst of a game seven with its inherent trepidation about early playoff elimination. Well, not unless the abs get so frustrated with Mr. Stay Popped that Kemper can also steal Colorado's composure and confidence. Could we have been less professional? I don't know how else to say it. I'm sure he's trying to get a rise out of his readers or, or, or whip his readers into some kind of frothing frenzy. But this is alliteration. Very good. This is awful. I'm sorry. Like, you know, there's that Afro man song from five, six years ago that was stupidly popular. Starting to wonder uh, how big of a fan uh, this writer is. Because, <laughs> uh, wow, I saw this article looking for stuff to talk about, specifically about the Coyotes and or the Avalanche. And while we're talking about the two teams. <gasps> Wait, I got another one. Hey, stuff happens. Hot goalies have been stealing playoff games from superior skating teams since before Jacques Plante wore a mask. He's not wrong there, but it's not relevant because (laughs) the winning team uh, at the end of a series, in excess of 90% of the time, is the team that is constructed better to go forward. I have two words and then mic drop. Two Go. words. Sour grapes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but one of the other series that's uh, or one of the other comparisons in this postseason that's of interest. Mm-hmm. And if the Calder race weren't already decided based on the votes being in, I think this the time that they've spent in the bubble would would have decided it. Yeah. Kale McCarr has been good. Kale McCarr, the two of us saw him just over a year ago in Manchester and watched a couple of his games uh, before the NCAA games. Got to see him and Adam Fox. And then he jumped right into uh, the playoffs for Colorado. Yeah. On the other hand, Quinn Hughes has been otherworldly. Yeah, well, there's literally I mean, he's in rarefied company in terms of scoring for defensemen uh, in the playoffs. Is his defensive game perfect? No. Um, I think Vancouver has forgiven him 
for his whole, well, if you're not going to play me as a starter, I'm going back to Michigan. And that's what he did. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Vancouver has forgiven that or forgotten about it at this point. <laughs> yeah, it's probably never going to come up again. <laughs> yeah, no, unless I bring it up, but that's pretty much it. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, having had the opportunity to watch him two or three games in a row in close succession versus, you know, the every every couple of weeks when they when Vancouver would be on national TV and I think during the regular the season. I think that's the fun part about this is because of the closeness of the games, I get to actually watch and compare and contrast. It's so much fun to watch him play. Oh, yeah. Like I mean, that quarterback whole, in the power play is ridiculous as that it whole is. Team is a lot of fun and everyone building their mm-hmm. team right now in the Western Conference needs to have a mind towards countering Quinn Hughes and Bo Horvat and um, Quinn Elias Hughes, Patterson. Elias Patterson, Pe- Jake Bertanen, Brock Besser. Brock Besser. That team is loaded with youth. Tyler Mott, who was one of the part of one of the best lines at Michigan University, because he was on the JT Confer, Kyle Connor, Tyler Mott line. Uh, this is a loaded with youth. So they're going to be around a while, people. Pay attention. They're going to be around, and they're and a Jim, whole bunch of fun. If and Jim Benning can find a way to keep them all together. <laughs> even if he only does it for, like, the next five seasons, he he may well win two cups in that time. And yet here we were a couple of weeks ago talking about the possibility of them trading. Was it Besser or Horvat? I think it was Besser that they had <laughs> talked about trading, which – there is still, which is still a possibility. The cap constriction is real. Um, I know that. I, I understand that. But if they do get compliance buyouts, pretty sure that pretty sure that Erickson's going to be gone at that point. Um, but uh, they've got a little bit of. They got a little. They got a lot of youth. They've got Stanley Cup experience because they've got both Tyler Toffoli and Tanner Pearson from LA. Correct. <laughs> you've got you've got not the strongest defense, but a good defense. You got obviously Quinn Alexander Adler is your your elder statesman. No, no pun intended there. Um, Adler Elder, and, and the goaltending is is good enough. Markstrom exactly. is a it's he's a good ad- he's a good to above average goaltender. He's not going to. Light up the world, a la Carey Price from years ago, or Tim or Thomas. From, yeah, he's or even this year, Carey Price has been uh, uh, to use otherworldly as a phrase. It, my goodness, he's gone back to his youth. Um, but Markstrom is good enough, above average, that with what's in front of him, they could they can get there. I'm starting to believe. <laughs> Um, I, I don't know what happens when they run into the uh, avalanches and St. Louis Blues of the world, but see, I I don't know if the Blues are going to recover from their malaise. And given who they're, uh, I mean, the Blues. Watching the Blues, they can't skate with their current opponent. They well, they're playing Vancouver, but. They're not fast enough 
to keep up. I'm sorry, they are Vancouver. playing Vancouver. That's right. They're just not fast enough. No, when they're, they're clearly there's a speed difference there, and that's oh, and they got Adam Gaudet from Northeastern University, who, yeah. while not lighting up the world goal scoring wise, is still physical and, and still doing his thing. Plus, they got one of our favorite. I don't know mine more than yours, yours more than mine, but one of our favorites in JT Miller. The guy does it all. 57% in the face-off circle. The guy <laughs> lighting it up this year statistically, goals scored and everything. I mean, career year. And he's still, what, mid-20s? Yep. Seriously. Steal of the last couple years anyway for, for Benning. Getting him from Tampa Bay. Yeah. Vancouver is somebody that we need to be very cognizant of over the next few seasons, if not this season. They may well knock St. Louis off. It's a distinct possibility. And uh, Jordan like Bennington if they can is get not, a lead, Jordan Bennington get a lead is early. not solid or as solid as to be believed. If I thought he was questionable last game. Bennington, yes. He 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 showed some gaps. But if, if in the next two games, if Vancouver can get a lead early and make St. Louis skate and concentrate on scoring versus simply pounding the snot out of them with with hits like there has been their mo, they're going to win. St. Louis is not fast or agile enough to keep up with Vancouver. It's not close. The only team in the West that probably is is Colorado, and Colorado's goaltending I don't think is quite as good. Mm, um, Colorado, Colorado, Vancouver would be a very interesting matchup. Oh, that speed, would be speed on speed track meet. Yeah, it, it, the closest thing, the possibly the closest thing to a sixty-minute hockey game that you would have, <laughs> as long as there were no whistle stoppages. I mean, that <laughs> would be one end of the ice to the other. There might only be like twenty face-offs in the game. Holy cow! <laughs> Ten. <laughs> Uh, I do do have a question for you. No, I do have a question. And I was hoping we were going to segue into this when we're talking about Pittsburgh. But do you like having your beliefs confirmed by a superstar? um, It's useful. I don't necessarily need it uh, for my own emotional I'm not, I'm not saying for your own emotional stability, but, you know, does it, you know, fl- chuff your feathers a little bit, you know, maybe stroke the ego a little bit to know that somebody the likes of, I don't know, you know, Connor McDavid, for example, would come oh, out that and one. say, I mean, when they come okay, out, when, it, when, when they come out and confirm what we've already talked about for a decade, well, yeah, uh, about that long. <laughs> but in this case, in, in this case, this is literally having a bad day and pushing a penny off of your desk to make sure that gravity is still working. Well, apparently Connor McDavid 
came out and said, we need to defend better. Uh, Okay, the quote is, obviously it's not where it needs to be. Teams that win are the teams that defend, and we haven't seemed to figure that out yet. I don't know how else to say it. I thought we took some big steps playing defensively during the season. Yeah, it just wasn't there at the end of the season. Personally, obviously, it could be better. We've been saying for many years now that Edmonton needs to focus on some defense. (laughs) It was great that they drafted Darnell Nurse a couple of years ago, and yeah, he's rounding out his game. But the rest of that defense... Around Darnell Nurse, you drafted Nugent Hopkins, now Yakupov, uh, Connor McDavid. Uh. Um, it, it, like a, a who's who of forwards from their draft years. No, teams aren't successful. Teams are not built that way. I'm wondering if he is, and and I said to you before the show, I said you know. The change in in leadership and bringing in Ken Holland, I think they're going to focus on. I, I don't think I don't think Connor's going to have to worry too much longer into the future. I think that Holland will focus on the defense. He will focus on improving the team overall. Uh, I think that both Mike Smith and Mika Koskinen need to worry about whether they have targets on their backs as well. Because Holland is used to having world-class uh, Stanley Cup champion talent around him, you know, on the on the ice. It, whether you like Lidstrom or not, whether you like the the Red Wings or not, they won Stanley Cups under Holland. He had strong defense. You had Larry. Well, Murphy, see, it's had. not about Lidstrom for me. <clears throat> I I have always acknowledged that essentially the Red Wings. When the Red Wings were winning Stanley Cups, you could have built the all-star team's defense from theirs. You could have taken four or five guys from that team and put it into the all-star game. Because as a group, there were that many good, really, really good individuals. I just don't consider Lindstrom to be a top 10 or top 15 no. all-time defenseman. But- the point of that is, though, that Ken Holland managed to put that team together. He, he was the GM in. And Ken Holland, I think, given the appropriate tools, can do that again in Edmonton. You you specified that your belief is the issue is with ownership. Yes. And that can certainly be one of the barriers to success. Uh, ask the Islanders under Wang. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I agree. I think that if ownership does handcuff Holland, they're just going to keep going down the same path. But if they allow Holland to do his job and give him the freedom that John Chaka used to enjoy in Arizona before the new ownership, mm-hmm. uh, I think that Holland can turn them around. And I don't think that Connor's going to have to worry for too much longer. He may not get to the Stanley Cup next season, but I think given Holland's capabilities, they'll they'll at least be contending in the next few seasons. Hey, Chris. Yes. Eight tenths of a percent. 
Eight tenths of one percent. Eight like tenths point, of one percent. Point zero eight. Okay, what's point zero eight? Really good question. That is, according to Money Puck, what separates the St. Louis Blues from the Arizona Coyotes in odds to win the Stanley Cup. St. Louis Blues, Arizona Coyotes, St. Louis Blues. The descending fit. The defending yeah. Stanley Cup champs right now are listed as having a 2% chance of winning the Stanley Cup this year. A 2%? 2%. The Arizona Coyotes, 1.2%. Wow. Chicago Blackhawks, 0.3. The surprise to me is not the is not either the Coyotes or the Blues. Oh, I know what the surprise is because I'm looking right at it. Right there at the top at well over a 25% chance is the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, I wasn't. That's not my surprise. Um, <laughs> did I did I come into the did I come into the playoffs thinking that Vegas, if they played well, having now having arguably, or I will say it, they have the best goaltending tandem in the West uh, simply because, well, well, when you acquire Robin Leonard, that pretty much seals it. Yeah. As much as I like uh, the Dallas uh, tandem, you got to stay healthy, boys. Yes. You really have to stay healthy. Uh, Vegas hasn't lost yet, though. No. And that's not losing is very, very useful. Yeah, not losing is very, very useful, yes. And not losing also helps get the percentages up there. Uh, I think Boston in fourth is a wee bit of uh, – no, it's probably about where they should be, third or fourth. Uh, see, My I, surprise on this list is at seven. My surprise on this list – and Montreal at 6.8%. A better chance to win the Stanley Cup than Calgary? Better chance than Carolina? Now, I understand Carolina's knocked down because they're playing Boston, and I don't know when this was updated. Does it say uh, this it was, was actually updated, updated yesterday, I believe? After all the games were played. So after the Bruins had taken the lead. Okay, 23 44. So quarter of midnight Eastern time. So they already knew the outcome of all the games yesterday. That's why Carolina is below Montreal because Boston's up two games to one. Mm-hmm. But Montreal in seventh, fifty point seven percent chance to make the second round. I, I'll give them that fifty percent chance. Yeah, fifty-fifty shot against uh, uh, who the heck are they playing? Um, Tampa Bay. What has Tampa Bay done in the playoffs in recent years? They've screamed flame on just before diving out the window and they are playing well, Tampa hitting Bay, the concrete. Right? I'm, not, I'm not missing that. They are playing Tampa Bay. Montreal. Yeah, because Tampa Bay was number one. Okay. So Tampa Bay's chances are 73%. Montreal's chances are 51%. I, but 6, 6.8% to win the Stanley Cup. I, wow. I, that to me is a surprise. I'm not, I'm not as surprised. I mean, it's... I think the percentage is high. I mean, Vegas has a 20, 27% chance to win the Stanley. That's – wow. Yeah, that's but, that's big. 
That's huge. Next best team is Colorado at 10.5. And that's why it's a surprise to me. When you have more than double the chances of the next team and we're still only in the first round. And quite frankly, coming into the playoffs, those are the two teams that I considered to have the best chance of coming out of the West. Vegas, Colorado. Um, I... I probably would have actually picked Washington and Boston to come out of the East. Uh, I, I I cannot believe in Tampa Bay. Montreal's uh, playing I, Philly, aren't they? I'm sorry. Montreal playing Tampa Bay or Philly? Uh, They're all blending together on me after all this time. Uh, it is Montreal Philly, and they're playing tonight. Okay. Uh, game three tonight at eight. Okay, fifty point seven point nine point three. The math didn't add up when I looked at Tampa it's, Bay. It's it's Tampa Bay um, Columbus is the Columbus, other series. That's what it is. Yeah. And by the way, I think Columbus has a better than twenty six percent chance of beating Tampa Bay. Just a personal opinion. Yeah, the fact that they're at one point eight percent chance of winning the cup is. Amusing, uh, especially given that they have better odds of actually making the Eastern Conference Finals than the Blues have of making the Western Conference Finals. <laughs> um, I, there's there's some interesting percentages here, but yeah, you're right. Vegas being more than two to one better than Colorado, than that, and, and three to one better than Tampa Bay. It's yeah, wow. I guess I should be surprised by those percentages. I mean, I find it, I just find it fascinating. Um, I think though, I think it's an interesting story. Uh, you can check it out at moneypuck.com slash predictions. They are on Twitter, which, uh, you probably have all figured out by now. Hey, um, are you surprised that Minnesota has a 0% chance? <laughs> I think that their odds remain unchanged from the beginning of the season. Ouch. All right, fair enough. <laughs> what else we got? Um, Dan Hamus retired. Uh, congratulations yeah, on a good career. He's been around for six. He was around for sixteen years. Uh, Thirty-seven years old. Eleven hundred, almost eleven hundred fifty games. In fact, he played with the Canucks. Uh, was he? I think he was with them back in. Was he back with them in eleven? I don't remember off the top of my head, but. Um, he's, he's bumped around the league a little tiny bit because I want to say he was in, uh, Nashville at one point. 68 playoff games total 21 points, uh, yeah, he, but not, uh, but not an offensive defenseman. So no, uh, I mean, point three, you know, three tenths of, and you're right. He was in Nashville. He was in, um, Vancouver, uh, the year the Bruins uh, won the cup. Thought so. It's not. I mean, just a, a solid defenseman. He was not. I mean, he was drafted in the first round. I understand that. Yep. But he's just been his career. He's just been a solid defenseman. He's not flashy. He's not look at me. He's not over the top. He just did his job. Did it well. And. Mm-hmm. I wish him luck in whatever else he chooses to do. Yeah. Uh, I mean, 1,100 games, uh, almost 1,100 games in the NHL is nothing to sneer at. 
Um, it doesn't matter what position you play. You're not playing 1,100 games if you're not pretty good at your job. He's hoping to stay involved with hockey. He loves mentoring and coaching. So that's something. But right now he's hey, there's going. Some, there's some openings in uh, Pittsburgh for some assistant coaches. Where I believe he actually played, I think. Maybe. Uh, no, he did not play for Pittsburgh. It he's was... never been a Pittsburgh. Good. Well, then I don't. I don't know if I want to tarnish him up by putting him there. But you know. <laughs> he started with Nashville, went to Vancouver, went to Dallas, and then back Dallas. to Nashville. Okay, yeah. End yeah. his career in well, 130 additional games there. I wish him luck in his future endeavors. He's going to spend time with family. Wants to get back into coaching, mentoring, and whatnot. So, thank you for 16 years, and good luck to you. Um, Claude, Claude Julian, I believe, was announced after last week's game or after last week's show. Having Yes, having gone into uh, the hospital, uh, having an emergency heart procedure. Um, he's now at home recovering, uh, expected to make a full recovery from what I've seen. Um, and again, good luck, good health uh, to him. Uh it was said that he's not expected back for the rest of this round or would not be back the rest of this round. Um, I guess that leaves the door open for him to return if they're playing in the second round. If not, Kirk Muller will uh, continue to hold the reins. Not for anything, but I, I, somebody somebody somewhere rallied that team because the day after he went into the hospital, they pretty much uh, embarrassed <clears throat> The Flyers. Uh, they were throat punching the Flyers. Five nothing. There was that talk was, of them actually running up. To, there was talk. I was listening to that particular game on network on NHL Network Radio on this on the satellite radio, and they they were using the Philly feed and they were talking about whether whether the Canadians were running up the score or you know. If they score when they scored the fifth goal, what if they scored a sixth because they they had a power play late in the game, and they actually put their top unit back out there, and oh no, they were complaining. And the the Philly the Philly commentators actually one of the two of them anyway actually said, you know what, I don't have a problem with them putting their top power play unit out there. It's their job to score goals. It's our job to stop them. <laughs> If they do score, they don't want to see a celebration, you know, just high five, you know, just score your goal, high five, go back to center ice. No over the top sellies, but if you're going to, if you, your job is to score. I actually get a little offended when I watch a team just pass the puck around for the last two minutes of a game. That's just gross. Like that annoys me as much as teams taking a knee like three times at the end of a game or a quarter in football. It's yeah. just wrong. But it's good that it's good that Julian is home uh, and out of the hospital. I do hope to see him again in these playoffs and with the way Montreal is playing, it's a good chance that they could get there. I don't think Philly is a lock for anything beyond this round. And I think Montreal proved that the other night. Yeah, okay, they had some motivation. I get it. But 
uh, Carey Price is certainly playing like Carey Price of, of uh, more than five years ago, and mm-hmm. and Shea Weber is playing like a man possessed, and the defense is actually looking stout, and uh, they're talking about Max Domi as as uh, you know, and and Suzuki is clearly the one that impresses them the most. But Kotkaniemi scored two goals in that game as well. Uh, it's not a lock by any stretch for Philly to get past him. No, uh, that that series has turned into something fun to watch. Um, neither of the teams, I think, is constructed in a way that <sighs> tends to have all of the sm- all of the nuances of a really good hockey game. But I think this is one of those matchups that makes that makes the playoffs special. Yeah, it, it makes for a very entertaining series, though. Oh, absolutely. It, it, it's been more fun to watch than I expected. I, I, I'm not in love with either roster. and uh, No, but I thoroughly enjoy watching Pittsburgh get eliminated. So, And I, well, I yes. know it's blasphemous to say this, but I have actually been rooting for Montreal to get past Philly as well. So. And in Boston, it's blasphemous to say that you're rooting for Montreal to do anything besides fail. Well, see, the nice but thing I, about Montreal going as far as possible is all of their picks move down further, and they have a <laughs> lot of picks this year. They this have is very true. They have a first round, three seconds, two thirds, three fourths, two fifths, a sixth, and two sevenths this year. Uh, Will they actually use all of those picks? Probably not. Um, Fair enough. And Brendan Gallagher, I is still not so secretly love watching him play. Yeah, he's been he's entertaining, absolutely. Uh, and the fact that he's frequently or has been frequently out there with Max Domi, I think, brings out the best in both of them, or at least the most aggressive. <laughs> OK, let's go with aggressive. <laughs> uh, I think that anyone who's really super down on this team hasn't paid attention to them this year. Is this a team that I that is a strong favorite to win the cup? No, obviously not. Is this a bad team? Absolutely not. Um, What Uh, else is on the board? Well, we got a couple of things on the board, but they could all be, uh, well, a couple of them can be quick hitters. Uh, In Florida Panthers news, real quick, Dale Talon um, out as GM. Basically, his contract expires at the end of the season, which magically happened at the end of the qualifying round when they were eliminated. But the only startling thing I read in the article was that according to the according to the Florida Panthers, this was a mutual agreement between Florida and Dale Talent. I love mutual agreements uh, when people claim that. Because it's usually one person saying or one side saying, you're not good enough for me and goodbye. Or someone has already delivered their it's not you, it's me speech. 
Yeah. There you go. Yeah, it's that whole breakup thing. And just as quickly, the last thing Dale Talon did as GM was to sign a local product um, from the University of Harvard. I've heard of them. Yeah, they're, they're a school up here somewhere in like Boston or Cambridge or something. But they brought Aren't in they this Bill Ricca. Bill Ricca. They might have a satellite school there. I don't know. But. Yeah, so they signed this kid. His name is Henry Bowlby. Signed has, to his two-year entry-level deal starting next season. He's 23 years old. 16 points in 31 games during his junior year. Yep. Appeared in a couple of uh, Boston Bruins uh, I believe uh, development he's been camps. To development camps, yeah. He's fun. Uh, drafted, but... Uh, I would, if you're a Florida Panthers fan and you're listening to this, get ready to watch him uh, in the preseason whenever that happens. Um, and don't necessarily be surprised if there's some roster shakeup and he makes the team. Am I predicting he's going to play first line minutes and score 40 goals next season? I am actually not predicting that. But if he makes the team and even has a 20 goal season, not going to be shocked. And by the way, people in, in Florida, not only is he, you know, six foot, 195 pounds and, and a solid player, but he's also smart. He finished as the Harvard Crimson's top scholar athlete received the ECAC Hockey Commissioner's Award as he earned the highest grade point average for the academic year on the team. He was also named to the 2020 Crampade. I have no idea if I'm saying that right. All-Americans. He's Crampade All-American Scholar by the American Hockey Coaches Association. So not just a pretty face. Hey, Chris. <laughs> What's up? What is the most important thing that uh, Cincinnati has exported to Seattle recently. Cincinnati has exported something to Seattle? Yes. But they haven't done the expansion draft yet, and we don't have an NHL team in Seattle, in Cincinnati. That is uh, correct fact, on both the, points. In fact, the only team in in Ohio is Columbus. <laughs> that's tr- That's also true. Uh, but, uh, so what is the, youngst- what is the biggest output? They send some beer over, maybe I don't know. Um, two words: Everett Fitzhugh. Wait, Everett I've seen Fitzhugh that name. is going to be the one of the uh, broadcasters for the Seattle Kraken. Uh, That's where I've heard the name. The okay. Air. He is also going to be the first black broadcaster and in uh, NHL history. So when he takes uh, the reins uh, for that first uh, Seattle Kraken game, we have more history being made. That's awesome. Now, when they say broadcast and, and I'm not downplaying this at all, but guys in-game. like in game, okay, I was going to say, cause there's guys like Anson Carter and, and, and I know I've seen P.K. Subban doing some and I I mean, even I've seen Evander Kane doing some snippets and, and Wayne Simmons has done snippets. But yes, uh, in game 
regular, is he regular guy or color? working, working like Emmerich or, um, or actually where is the local guy, more brick and, uh, Evander Kane's favorite announcer. Goshen Beersy. Yes. Back in the day. That's awesome. Good for him. Um, he comes out of the ECHL's uh, Cincinnati Cyclones uh, for five years. He'd previously oh, he worked have, for. He must have had fun with that then. ECHL, you get to call all those fights. <laughs> yep. Uh, previously done Youngstown Phantoms um, uh, from the USHL. Uh, his own Bowling Green State University. Um, Nice. Uh, they made a couple of other hires. Johnny Greco from the Madison Square Garden Company um, and uh, Lamont Buford, previously with the Arizona Coyotes, um, are going to be part of the uh, the broadcast uh, team. Looks like the other two will be off, uh, will not necessarily be on air. Um, but it's uh it's nice to see the character of the team taking place. The picture of Everett Fitzhugh in the stands uh, making announcements. Enjoys, I think headset he enjoys on. hockey. Looking at the that gent photo. enjoys hockey. Uh, get ready for someone to be a little bit rowdy in the booth. Yeah, I could see this one winding winding up Kraken fans. He, I mean, uh, you look at this photo, and he's standing there. He's got his fist extended. He's screaming into the microphone. Yeah, he he certainly get he he gets into it in a way that I would get into it sitting on my couch. <laughs> he's he's going to be engaged. Um, if you're looking for a boring announcer to uh, and uh, to you know pass from defense to defense. Uh, Looks like it bobbled a little bit on the rut in the ice. Uh, defense passes to their left wing, going up the right board, approaching center ice. Oh, no, the opposition seems to have slowed them down with an aggressive forecheck. Probably not going to be this guy. Um, yeah, just no, no. <laughs> I, don't, I don't see it based on what it's a, it's a. I mean, first paragraph is a minor league hockey broadcaster in Cincinnati. Evan Fitzhugh would go on frequent road trips to Indianapolis where he'd regularly encounter a young black hockey fan named Desmond, fist-bumping players outside the visiting team's locker room. And his dad came up and said, we listen to you sometimes and we enjoy listening to you. That was really cool. So it sounds like he's already got a following and in, in his local area. Yep. Uh, and if he can bring that excitement to the latest NHL franchise. And it sounds like you will, that they, it's going to be fun to listen to games on, on the satellite radio. If they, when they do Seattle home feeds, because they usually chap into the, the radio feed. So I might actually get to hear Mr. Everett Fitzhugh. It doesn't specify whether he's going to be radio or TV. It just says that he's the new voice of the Seattle Kraken. To me, that says radio, but um, and he's yeah, done I radio in the past. He's done radio in the past, but a lot of radio guys have moved to TV. Um, Gosh, uh, no, well, Beers uh, left Boston. No, it was Go- Dave Gosher. He went to. He was hired away from us by the Vegas Golden Knights to be their TV guy. And he's to done be a good their, job. Their TV Jack Edwards. 
So, I always enjoyed listening to, to Bob Gosher and um, uh, Dave Gosher and Bob Beers here in Bo- and Gosher and Beersy were they were the guys on the radio for a long time. So, uh, looks like it says later in the article that um, he will probably do certainly do radio uh, as play by play. Um, oh, he may actually do some t- TV once uh, once they hit the airwaves in October 2021. Um, interesting, interesting. Excellent. Another interesting thought while we're on, uh, the Seattle, there actually, never mind. We can talk about that another time because we've <laughs> run a little bit long. Um, we had a lot to talk about this week. Yes. Uh, so let's see. We covered Julian. <sighs> we covered Hamus. We covered, uh, the Stave Puff Marshmallow column. Um, <clears throat> We talked about Makar. We talked about Dale um, Allen and Henry Bowlby in Florida. We talked about the Vancouver Canucks and Bono's Clutch, uh, plus Quinn Hughes. And uh, wow, just a lot going on right now. It is such a good time to be a hockey fan. Agreed. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Share the show, tweet, retweet the show to your friends. Uh, if you're back working in the office, put us on in the office. We actually go out of our way not to swear, which is really, really hard for me. Um, <laughs> really, really one. hard. <laughs> you're not the um, only one. <laughs> so, yeah, share us with your friends, family, and uh, reconnect and enjoy the hockey. Enjoy the show. <laughs>